Uh, hello and welcome to the latest edition of View from the Loch with myself, Bill Donald. I have a very, very special guest that we've been very keen to get on to the podcast. This gentleman is actually the general manager of one of the most prestigious clubs in the United States, Seminole Golf Club. Uh, also held the head professional position at Oakmont Country Club for 39 years until 2016 and is considered one of the preeminent golf professionals in America and among the most highly regarded people in the game of golf. Bob Ford, welcome to View from the Lock. Yeah, thanks, Bill. Happy to be on. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, well, listen, we're excited about this, Bob, and we'll chew the fat over the industry and, and maybe observations that we've had. Uh, you, you've been a, a head professional, you're now a general manager. Um, I, I've always had, had the managerial experience without the uh, the head professional bit element to, to what I do. So I, I guess, um, Bob, what is really interesting from your kind of back record and, and looking at stuff you've achieved, you, you, uh, you know, what was the inspiration, Bob, for you to get into golf? Who inspired you? Well, I think I would say Lou Warsham really was uh, really the key guy in my career. You know, he uh, <clears throat> he let me come and work the 73 Open with him, uh, the one that Johnny Miller shot 63 in the final round. And, uh, you know, I just sort of stayed in touch with him because he was such an icon in the game and such a hero to me. And when I got out of school, I went down to see him and said, what do you think I should do? I wanted him to say, go play the tour. And uh, he said, well, why don't you come work for me? I'll find out whether you can play or not. And uh, you know, I went to four tour schools in that five-year stretch. And uh, I think happily for me, didn't make it. And, uh, and he retired and I was in the right place at the right time. So he was really my mentor and uh, you know, inspired me to get in the profession part of it. I think as far as getting in the game, you know, my mom and brother always left and went to play golf and I was playing baseball and I finally tagged along with them and uh, really picked up the game from them. I mean, you, you mentioned uh, Lou Wilson, uh, and Lou won the 1947 US Open. Uh, so this was a gentleman that had was right at the top of the game. Uh, and of course, you then took over. You followed on as head professional from Lou, uh, which, of course, is why you revere Lou so much. Uh, and, uh, you know, you were then 26, 27 years of age. Uh, and, you know, Lou, how, how long did you keep in contact? Was he a constant contact in your life after that? Or did you sort of go your separate ways? No, he uh, he actually moved down to Pocosin, Virginia, and uh, which is where he was from. <clears throat> and we stayed in touch uh, mostly via letter. You know, we didn't really have cell phones at that time. Yeah. But he loved to write, and I loved to write, so we wrote letters. And, and I would stop by to see him on my way to Florida every year. And uh, sorry about the dog. <laughs> you have to maybe. And uh, incarnation. Yeah. So yeah, we stayed in touch. He came up for the open in '83 after he was gone, and uh, you know I went fishing with him. He and his son, and uh, son who was just in a you know so uh, great people, great family, and uh, 
loved him to death. Yeah, you know, he. Um, I don't think we would know too much uh, about not spoken about uh, in the terms that you guys would know more about him uh, over in the States. That makes it even more interesting. But in 83, Bob, you qualified and played in the US Open. You made the cut. You tied 26th. I mean, that's some achievement. So what, what can you remember, Bob, about that? Well, Bill, I remember every shot every day. Every, you know, I remember the whole thing pretty vividly. I don't remember much about last week, but uh, yeah, it was uh, pretty extraordinary, you know, to do something like that. And I, I knew that at the end of that week, I knew that that was going to kind of be my career defining moment. Uh, but, you know, I had uh, just to qualify was crazy, you know, because we were working and not playing much golf, and uh, I guess uh, because I was the host pro, I was exempt through the first stage, so I only had to go through the 36-hole qualifier, and, you know, somehow I got through it. I played well that day and uh, and got in the field, and I think the neatest, you know, my, some of my most vivid memories were playing the practice rounds. I played Tuesday with Arnold and oh. Jay Siegel and Miller Barber and Ben Crenshaw. We actually played a five ball. Right. Uh, Ben, ben Crenshaw had kind of screwed up and brought Miller Barber along. So I said, what do you think we, we should do? Can we play five? I said, I don't know. PJ Boatwright, you know, he was the guy that ran it at the time. And I went up to PJ and he said, well, who do you have? I said, I have, you know, Arnold's one of them. He said, you guys just keep up with the group ahead of you. So he let us play. And then the next day I played with Jack and Ed Sneed and Weisskopf. Oh. Which was, you know, which was, you know, those are Walter Mitty moments for me. But uh, come Thursday, I was paired with a couple friends of mine that, well, you know, were club pros, Jim Albus and Steve Benson. And, uh, you know, I just felt really comfortable playing with them. And uh, I wasn't as nervous after having played with Arnold and Jack the two prior days. So, you know, I just uh, fell into a, you know, a pretty good run and had putted really well. And, uh, you know, it was my home course and. It was it was quite quite a thrill. Yes, that took place in uh, which um, you know you were there, the, the head pro, uh, and Larry Nelson won the U.S. Open that particular year, um, and of course a well-known name uh, in the game as well. But one of the names that you you mentioned was Tom Weisskopf, who of course was a course designer at Loch Lomond Golf Club. Um, he, he always rated it as his finest work. Uh, and he had the uh, purest swing, people say, in golf. Uh, is that, you were up close and personal uh, with Tom. Is that how you saw his swing as well? Oh, yeah, we all admired Tom. You know, he was tall, good-looking, beautiful golf swing, played great. Uh, he was a great guy. He told me a few times about his trip over there to do Lock Woman and almost dying, which has been pretty well chronicled, but... Uh, yeah. He loved being he loved being over there and doing your your golf course and uh, and we we miss him he uh, he was a great guy yeah he was and he he gave a very poignant interview for the members of Loch Lomond Golf Club sadly just before he passed uh, and uh, you know it was a really interesting uh, hour and a half we spent uh, with Tom and Bob was referring to an incident when Tom was a course designer and of course uh, it was right at the start so I, 
I'm not even sure if the shaper was in play, probably, but uh, there was really nobody else around. Uh, it was almost derelict, and Tom went for a walk at six o'clock in the morning. Um, so if you've played Loch Lomond, um, you're talking about the 14th, which for some people like Tom and Bob, uh, could be a par three. For most of us, we're delighted to grab a par four. Um, so anyway, there is a bank and a ravine, uh, if you like, um, just in front, quite a steep hill in, in front of the green. And uh, Tom jumped over. And of course, it was akin to sort of quicksand. Now, this is six o'clock in the morning because he just had decided to go for a walk. He was in a caravan uh, with his wife. And, um, you know, that was to the, to, to the sort of outskirts of the course. And there was absolutely no one around. And he was up to his waist uh, in, in this quicksand. And he was in for an hour and a half. Uh, which he then scrambled around, found a root of a tree, uh, got himself out eventually, but had lost everything underneath the waist um, and managed to somehow stagger back to the caravan. His wife opened the door and said, where the hell have you been, Tom? And uh, <laughs> So maybe a few people have a difficult explanation if you turned up like that back at your caravan. Uh, and uh, he said he, he, he slept for two days. He was in shock. He, he right. thought he... We thought he'd gone. Anyway, that's that's the the story that that uh, Tom has told in his imprint. Uh, but uh, it's really interesting listening to him. Uh, you know, you know, tell. So now, an interesting thing I think about that eighty-three U.S. Open, Bob, uh, is Golf Digest wrote this that it was rumoured that you made as much, if not more, that week in merchandise sales than Larry Nelson's seventy-two thousand dollar winning check. Now, I don't know where they got that stat from, but is it accurate? Oh, without question. Yeah, yeah, the merchandise, you know, back then the merchandise uh, was a big deal. And I, I was one of the last guys really that owned it. And oh. uh, you know, my club stuck up for me. The USGA wanted to renegotiate and uh, had some guys on the committee that, uh, you know, were great friends and said, you know, this is the deal. And and we're not going to change it. So no, I, yeah, I got the benefit of that. Got really got me started in my career financially, and uh, it, it was pretty awesome. I, I don't tease Brother Nelson about it, but uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because you, I've dealt with the European tour, and merchandising rights is really important. It's now an integral part of you know percentage share, or to get a hundred percent ownership's impossible these days, um, such as the power of marketing and branding. So what you had there, Bob, was in these days totally unique. Um, Very much so. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's really, really interesting. Um, so you were an 85 PGA Merchandiser of the Year, uh, 87 PGA Professional of the Year, and 88 PGA Player of the Year. Now, this is that's quite a, a sort of a trilogy. So in terms of Merchandiser of the Year in 85, what did you have to do to win that? I mean, how did that come about? What sort of brands can you remember that you were stocking? Um, you know, what, how, how, did, how did you win that award? Well, I think, uh, you know, thinking back at, in that time period, uh, I think you won your local section award and, and then, you know, the PGA had 41 guys to choose from and, uh, uh, 
you know, somehow I got the nod. I, you know, obviously everything that I attained, Bill, was because of Oakmont. You know, Oakmont just puts you up on a pedestal. And uh, but it was nice. Uh, I gotta think. I probably, you know, back at that era, Pickering was kind of our number one cotton shirt. You know that we sold, and then Arias came into into being. Right. And, uh, you know, I think actually Arias was the big one at that time. Uh, you know, they're they're no longer around, but we actually uh, in the open in '83 we actually started the, um, you know, the mail-in order. I had Bobby Clampett uh, was my model, and uh, we did it in Golf World magazine, and just did a little ad, and and uh, got made my guys crazy busy in the back, you know, filling these orders. But uh, that's really what started the, you know, the mail-in order thing with the USGA. They weren't happy about that either. No. <laughs> Bob, I think you're out of the game. <laughs> um, so, 87 PGA Professional of the Year. So, you must have had a, a, a stellar year as well. Um, but for PGA Professional of the Year, is that uh, to do with merchandising and playing? Or is that just sort of a, a personality type thing or did you serve on the board of the PGA? You know, Bill, uh, again, I think it probably a, uh, you know, uh, not a personality thing, but a popularity thing, I think, you know, because um, I'd only been a PGA member for seven years. So it was very unusual to get that award that early. But uh, again, because of Oakmont, you know, I just uh, resume went to the top, I yeah. guess. And, uh, I played on a couple of cup teams with uh, Mickey Powell, who was president at the time. He was the he was the uh, captain of the team. Actually, we played at Turnbury in '84, and uh, just got to know me, and uh, I guess wanted to showcase a young guy at the time, and uh, was just you know very lucky to get that award. Well, what I hear, sir, um, and and then an '88 Player of the Year. So you must have shot the lights out, Bob. Yeah, I had a good year that year. Uh, you know, there was a great friend of mine that I played on a cup team with named Lonnie Nielsen, who uh, sadly passed away a few years ago of Alzheimer's, which is so sad. But uh, he was player of the year in 87. And, and at the awards dinner where I got the professional of the year and he was the player of the year, I said, I looked at him, I said, Lonnie, I'm coming after you next year, pal. <laughs> and, uh, and he's the guy I beat. He beat him in the, the final uh, event we had, and uh, it, it, that one that one meant a lot to me. That was that was neat. Yeah, I mean, some award, fantastic. So I think we've now painted the picture. Um, obviously, not an entire picture of Bob uh, and his background, what he's achieved, who he's worked with, who he's played with. Uh, so we've got, a, you know. A, a real expert in our hands, a lot of respect in the game for Bob. So Bob's opinions matter, and he's, he's coming at it from a serious experience as well. So I guess there's a few things, Bob, you know, in, in the modern day game uh, that is warrants some comment. Um, and I think the, the rollback, uh, the golf ball, um, even send the equipment, but certainly the golf ball, is something that the RNA. Uh, is is keen to try and, and push forward. Uh, not everybody agrees with it. Uh, what's your views, Bob, on that? Bill, I just don't think it's enough. You know, um, I would probably 
certainly be a little more uh, in favor of a bigger rollback. Uh, you know, the golf club, the head, the shaft, the, the length of the shaft, and, and then certainly the ball. But but I, I just think that this, you know, five or six percent just isn't enough to bother with. It just is just, just it just isn't. And, uh, you know, I think to ask the manufacturers to, you know, tool up and uh, make a golf ball they can't sell is just really unfair. And uh, I don't think the USGA is going to pay for it. And, I, uh, you know, I think it's a, a lot to ask the manufacturers to do. I know they're totally against it. Mm. Uh, PJ Tours against it. PJ of America is against it. And I just don't I, I don't see it happening, quite frankly. Yeah, I think I think I've probably subscribed to that uh, view as well, having spoken to a few journalists and trying to get my head around it. Um, but the, the likes of uh, Rory and a few others who hit the ball a prodigious distance seem to be more in favour. Um, I think, from what I read, uh, does that surprise you? Yeah, I was a little surprised. Uh... You know, Rory's going to be the longest driver out there no matter what ball they play. So uh, to say it doesn't affect him, um, you know, because he's on the PGA Tour policy board and they're so against it, uh, I'm kind of surprised that Rory did take a stance for it. But, you know, he's <laughs> he's our heartthrob right now. We love him to death and, uh, and, and everybody respects him very much. And, uh, you know, everybody has an opinion. Yeah, that's the that clear. And of course, uh, we tend to talk about Rory, I think, in every podcast. His name comes up, uh, but it's not surprising, isn't it? And and, and in Seminole, uh, his father, uh, Jerry, is a member, in fact, came over to Loch Lomond with a few of the Seminole boys about a few years ago. Uh, and, um, you know, he, he, he certainly... I mean, it's an iconic venue, uh, and he certainly seems to be enjoying himself. And and I'm not sure if you're if you're talking to Jerry, you know, please pass on my regards. Uh, and I was, I know he doesn't do podcasts. I was trying to desperately get him on, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but because one of the questions I was going to ask Jerry, and maybe you can ask him to see if it was true. But when Jerry played in Ireland Senior Cup, is you know, the low low guys, if you like. So uh, scratch to, to five is generally where you have to sit to play senior cup. Uh, and, you know, he played for Hollywood Golf Club. And, and I was informed that he always had to go out in, in first or if he was playing for Hollywood in any particular competition against other clubs, he always had to go out first because he had a superstition about it. Uh, and I think it's true. I do think it's true, but I would, you know, I would be just be interested to get that clarified uh, because I think he did hold that very dear and just psychologically, if, if you know, he, he couldn't go anywhere else in the pecking order. Well, I'll see him tomorrow. I'm, I'm, uh, he's playing in the Coleman, which is a national amateur tournament at Seminole. Right. And uh, I'm, the, I'm the starter tomorrow. So I'll see him and ask him. Uh, I know he's not going first. I hope not, because that's the worst scores go first. And uh, I'll, I'll ask him. That's a great question to ask him. Yeah, it's it's a kind of a team play. True, by the way, but I would be surprised if it's, if he rules back on that. But anyway, you know, you have to you have to give him my regards. So seminal, uh, Oakmont seminal. What's the difference between both these iconic clubs for you, Bob? 
Yeah, I tell you, they can't. They couldn't be more different in terms of clubs. Uh, they're both great golf courses. Um, you know, it was easy for me when people say, "Which one do you like better?" It was easy to say, "I like Seminole better in the winter time and Oakmont better in the summertime," because Seminole's closed in the summer. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, Oakmont is a historic national U.S. Open. You know, we've had twenty some major championships there. Uh, it's a country club, sadly. I say sadly because I, I'm, I'm jealous that it's not a golf club, but uh, my, I know my family appreciates that there's a pool and every, all the other amenities, but it's, uh, it's a very busy place. Uh, we have uh, accommodations on campus like you do. Yes. Not quite as fancy as yours, Bill, but, uh, <laughs> but they're nice. And uh, so we have people there 24-7, breakfast, lunch, dinner, cutting at night under the under the lights and uh so it's busy it's a busy place seminole is a golf club only a golf club and we close at six in the evening you must be gone uh, and uh it's just golf well we actually took a swimming pool out about three years ago and uh so it's just a golf club you come there you play golf you practice and you leave there's not a hang so, you know, the locker room is one of the great locker rooms, as you know, in the world. Yeah. Uh, but it's really just not a really place that you want to hang. You want to go there, have a drink with your guys and then and get up and go. You know, it's, people aren't just hanging around there just to just to socialize. Yeah, it's, really, it's the opposite of the Bloom and Golf Club, where the locker room uh, is somewhere where people want to hang around with Willie Henry, the uh, our very famous locker room attendant, uh, and uh, you know the, the service and Willie and the stories, and so people do hang around. Sometimes, you know, sometimes people hang around all night, not often, uh, you know, and because uh, of the fantastic rooms that we've got. Uh, but you know, it, it is the central centerpiece of Loch Lomond Golf Club. But Loch Lomond couldn't be any more different to Seminole in terms of of setup. We're a twenty four. 7 24 hour type operation because of the rooms we have and the spa uh, and the golf course as well but Seminole is pure and uh, in, in that sense of, of a golf club uh, and it's always um i think really pretty good for a manager's point of view to have certain things defined so it sounds as if Seminole is, is pretty defined bob which makes it i think possibly easier to manage oh Piece of cake. Yeah, piece of cake. I, I, I did, Bill. I do want to let you know I did retire after the Walker Cup in uh, 21. So yeah, I'm footloose and fancy free. No, no more job for me. Yeah. OK. OK. So I, I knew it was I didn't know you'd retired there and I, I thought it was maybe coming up, but fine, fine. So we'll, we'll sort of talk about it in the in the historical uh, context. Um, but yeah, so piece of cake uh, in terms of um, having a defined golf club. So what, what have you seen, Bob, change in golf over the years from being a head pro to a GM? What have you seen uh, within the game that that is, is different to when you first got involved? Well, Bill, you know, I, I get asked that question frequently, and, and I will tell you that I don't think really the X's and O's have changed greatly. I think that uh, it's a people business uh, from our standpoint as managers and professionals. We're there to take care of our members, make sure they have a great day. 
uh, I really, those things really haven't changed. I, I, what, what has changed, number one, is my staff grew from like two or three of us to like 13 of us, you know, in the, as a golf professional at Oakmont. Um, and at Seminole, I guess I always start, you know, I had a big, big staff. So, I mean, the staffs have grown. I think uh, people expect more, you know, more, uh, more attention, uh, more amenities. Uh, certainly at Oakmont, we've just continued to grow amenities and uh, not, not at Seminole, but, uh, you know, and then the technology, the technology of how we do our business has changed greatly. And I, I would say in teaching, whether it's teaching, managing, being the professional there, uh, incredible changes in technology. Yeah, I think, I mean, the fundamentals still apply, but the technology has developed, uh, you know, and still is uh, Trackman and, and, you know, stuff like this are, you know, really pushing the boundaries, I think. Um, so, Bob, in terms of then your, your, your career, are there any stories that you regale or tell that would be interesting to our listeners? Anything that you came across, someone you played golf with, um, or, or something that happened on the golf course? Well, <laughs> well I don't know. Uh, I, I guess the first one that comes to mind uh, involves Senator, Senator Lindsey Graham from South Carolina. You've probably right. seen, him, seen him on the news a good bit, but uh, this was his first visit to Oakmont. He was playing in, in our Invitational, which is those, those five nine-hole matches, and... Uh, he actually, uh, he got into a playoff in his flight, <clears throat> which he won against our club president at the time. And uh, this was later in my career. And somebody coming back on his cart came in my office and said, uh, you got a problem, pro, which we get every day, right? You know, well, what is it now? And uh, he said, well, Senator Graham looks like he has 17 clubs in his bag. <laughs> I said, oh, my God. So I, I do have a problem. So I went out, sat down with Senator Graham and said, uh, he said, well, what's wrong? You know, do we have an issue? I said, yeah, I guess uh, we have an issue with the number of clubs that are in your bag. And when he looked at me and said, how many are you allowed to have, Bob? I knew we were in a lot of trouble. <laughs> and I said, well, Senator, that'd be 14. And he said, well, now what do we do? I said, well, you can go take a shower. You, you're done for the day. Uh, you know that you know the team that wins the playoff goes in the shootout. So at that time, the president came over. Uh, president Club at the time was a buddy of mine, and, and uh, as I said, I'd been there a long time by then. And he said, "What you know? What's going on?" I told him the story, and he said, "Oh, they beat us. So, you know, we don't care about that. We don't want to go on. They 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 beat us in the playoff." I said, "Well, they're going to take showers because they're finished. We play golf here, and they're DQ. If you want to go on, you can go on. If not, we'll go to the next group." No, 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 we'll, we'll go, we'll go. So I was kind of a cute story. I tell you, Lindsey Graham, he took it pretty well. He said, you know, that's great. I, I understand. I appreciate it. I've had a great weekend here. I've met a lot of great people and uh, love golf. And I, I should have known better. And that was, that's kind of it. So it's wow. kind of a cute, cute story about that. Yeah. yeah, I've not heard of one like that apart from the Ian Woosnam experience. Uh, and I know what happens or has happened, uh, but I can't think of 
something like that um, in my experience. I'm thinking we have the Rosto Invitational, uh, you know, here, for example, one of our, <laughs> and there could be boys wandering around with God knows what in their bag and probably kind of get away with it, but, uh, um, you know, or, or girls, I should say. Uh, but that's, yeah, that's a good one. My God, that took a fair bit of um, gumption, really. One, to be spotted, and then two, to have to deal with it. And in the end of the day, everybody was mature about it. Yeah, thank goodness. You know, I, I had another cute one, Bill, as we talked. This actually <clears throat> young man from Ireland came over and spent a season with me at Seminole. His name was Tommy O'Neill. He's a, he's an instructor there now. Right. Uh, I want to say in the Dublin area. Uh, kind of lost track of him, but a beautiful kid. He was 18, 19 at the time. And it was our second pro member at Seminole. And Arnold, Arnold played in every one. And... Uh, <laughs> And he was in the event, and Arnold, as you know, liked to have a lot of clubs in his bag. So this young man, I mean, he was young at the time. Uh, he went up to Mr. Palmer on the first tee, and he said, uh, Mr. Palmer, I do my best work with 14 clubs, sir. Uh, I think we have a few too many. And he looked at him. <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember what Arnold said to him, but they didn't take any clubs out of Arnold's bag. <laughs> 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 he got he got he got a few exemptions uh, in in life. Yeah, he, he was he was fun to have. But the Tommy O'Neill was a what just a great character and just a great great kid from Ireland. I just loved yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. I must I must I must look him up. Um. So, uh, Bob, what qualities do you think you know? People listening to this podcast maybe are interested in, in getting into the game. Uh, let's say as a professional golfer. Um, and, you know, and that could be in the sense of playing, but working also in, in pro shops and teaching. What, what qualities do you look for and what qualities have you seen uh, people pull people through from A to Z and get to the end of that journey and, and have a successful career? Well, Bill, you know, I'll start with saying, and I'm sure it's the same for you, industry-wide, certainly industry-wide in America, it, it our pool of candidates has really shrunk. You know, we, uh, our schools that we have here with the PGM programs, uh, enrollment's down 50%. So it's really hard to get guys in the industry that want to be assistant golf professionals. And for that matter, people to work at McDonald's. You know, we just can't get people to work over here. It's just, it's like, oh my God, they're coming in by the, the, by the millions and we still can't get people to work. So no different than in the golf industry. And uh, but getting back to your question, you know, I, I always I always looked for guys that love to play the game. Uh, if they had a passion to play the game like I did, you know, I got into it because I love to play the game. And I was willing to sacrifice, uh, you know, my game for making other people's game better. You know, I worked hard so that I could play hard. It allowed me to play the game. So... Uh, I think that was, that's the number one thing that I look for. And also, you know, young guys at that stage of their life that didn't have a big ego, that were willing to serve others and not feel like they were the kings. Um, you know, obviously, you know, to be in our business, you know, we're in the service business and uh, it's all about them. It's not about us. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you can tell that pretty soon. In fact, I just play golf with these guys, you know, immediately, you know, so... Uh, that was the easy part. I, you know, and that was the part I think I missed the most, Bill, is, uh, you know, 
training guys and helping them get their own jobs. And, uh, you know, that relationship that I have with my staff was really, that was fun. Yeah, I think, you know, creating a team environment uh, is, is, is essential, is key. You do need to have a sense of humor as well. Um, because a lot of things come at you and, um, you, you know, there was a, uh, I'm not subscribing to this, but I remember uh, an ex-golf manager um, who, who sadly passed away not that long ago. And, you know, he, he was convinced there was an invisible beam uh, at the member's car park that would erase uh, people's either memories or their actual brain, <laughs> his words. Uh, and he said that, uh, you know, people could sometimes come out with the most ridiculous things, irrespective of the background or where they came from. And uh, he, he was always astonished um, by some of the, the, the communication and conversations between members and staff and members and management uh, and, and what have you. And he, he actually struggled uh, with the kind of, uh, at times, lack of, um, I guess, common sense, maybe is one word to put it. Uh, whereas I think sometimes you can t come at things with a, with a bit of humor and a bit of chat uh, and, and, a, and a bit of sort of, um, you know, uh, you, you can take people down the same road, but maybe just go a, a slightly different direction. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think I think you know once once you get guys in there, I think one of the keys to our success. I know you do this, Bill, but uh, you know Jimmy Dunn actually came up with a word to identify. It's called anticipatory, and uh, you need to be anticipatory. You need to, you know, be in. You you need to know what the guy wants before he asks for it, yeah. and uh, and and get it for him. And like what you do with the guys in the in the restaurants. Uh, you know, as soon as their empty drink hits the floor, it's refilled, you know, because mm -hmm. he, he wants another one. And, yeah. Uh, you know, just just little just the little the little things are what makes people great. You know, it's not it's not about the big things. It's all about the little things. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why the locker room at Loch Lomond works so well and is so revered, you know, as well, because reading the room uh, is important and, and getting the right quality of staff. You alluded to it earlier. It's not as easy uh, or straightforward, maybe younger than what was known in the past. So, but if you've got the right sort of, uh, you've got something about you, um, the right attitude, then I think, you know, you have to grow into it and you can get trained. Uh, but experience is important as well. So, you know, staff, staff are definitely younger with less experience, but I guess it's a long-term game. We, we've a lot of very loyal staff that have been here a long time. Uh, so they kind of lead the line and bring people along. But uh, certainly it, it, it's a challenge, more of a challenge than what it used to be. But uh, I guess we're blessed uh, at Loch Lomond by having a, a great team, Bob. Now, talking about staff at Loch Lomond, a certain Colin Campbell, uh, which was Loch Lomond's first head golf professional. And, and Loch Lomond play Oakmont uh, on an annual basis. Uh, one of the matches that the club plays, uh, you know, another club. Uh, Valderrama is the other one. We only have two, but po possibly Paradise Valley is coming on board, I hope, uh, which we'd be very keen about in, in Arizona. Um, but Colin worked for you and uh, he orchestrated the match. So what qualities did Colin have? And did you think yeah, that's a guy that's going to make, you know, make it? Because, you know, he's very, very popular. Well, he's just... <laughs> He's just such a lovable kid. You know, you like to take him as your son. Uh, he, you know, 
he had no ego. He, he, he looked after everybody. Uh, his presentation and his personality were just extraordinary. And uh, I had a great friend of mine in Arizona. Actually, he's a member of Paradise Valley, Bill. His name's Jim Whitehead. Okay. He's, he's 79 now. He's, a little, you know, he's, he's not going to be on the team, I'll tell you that. But, uh, but he went to Lyle Anderson with Colin's resume, and he put it on his desk, and he said, you don't need to look any further. This is your man. And uh, Jim had visited me at Oakmont and gotten to know Colin, and anybody that ever got to know Colin loved him. And, uh, you know, he played the game nicely, uh, a fun teacher. He was just a guy you wanted to be around. And, yeah. Uh, and for him to get that Lock Loma job was just, it was extraordinary. Hmm. And uh, I know he was there about 14 years. He's down at Beaverbrook now, down in London. So uh, he had a way of uh, landing on his feet all the time. And uh, just I just visited with him uh, on the phone. Actually, Jimmy Dunn was over there on Tuesday playing at Beaverbrook. Right. And, uh, which caused him, uh, you know, to pick me. And uh, yeah, it's great. It's great to stay in touch with Colin. Yeah, yeah, he's done a great, great guy and he's done exceptionally well. So um, one of the debates that we have with a, a few uh, people, members um, at the club is speed of greens. And, uh, you know, er, everybody's watching the TV, golf's prevalent on the TV now, with Sky TV Sports over here. Uh, you've got Augusta and other courses where the ball is traveling at, uh, well, I have no idea what the stim reading would be what would it be bob at augusta uh, during the tournament uh probably around 14 14 and a half yeah i was going to say it probably is so we're you know we can be nine uh type of thing you know uh, our view i mean it does improve protecting the greens uh they're slightly hairier at times at certain times of the year than we'd want but for you, is it is it the speed or is it the trueness of the green or what what makes a good putting surface, Bob? Dry and firm. Mm -hmm. I'm not, not as concerned about speed as long as it's dry and firm. Yeah, you know when it's when they're wet, it's just no fun. Big ball marks are just no fun. And, and I know it's you know it's tough at Oakmont in the summertime when we have a lot of rain. And I'm sure it's tough at Lockloe when you guys get plenty of rain over there. Mm -hmm. uh, that you can ever get your greens, you know, dry and firm. But uh, but those are the two characteristics I would I would you know say is the optimum. Now it's not that we have it every day. And here at Seminole in the Coleman tournament, we've had rain all week, so mm -hmm. we're not dry and firm. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know that's what we strive for. And outside of Oak Mountain Seminole, Bob, golf courses in America that you really enjoy, You've, you really rate yourself as Bob Ford. And what about over in the UK and Ireland, favorite golf courses that you, you, you have? Start in the States? Start in the States. Uh, well, obviously Oakmont Seminole, but uh, I, you know, if I had one course to play, it would be Pebble Beach. Wow. Uh, and I would say that on our coast, uh, Pine Valley is an extraordinary, uh, design and extraordinary experience, probably one of the great experiences in the game. And Marion, uh, Shinnecock, Riviera, those, those are kind of my top, top. Wingfoot is in there. And coming over to your place, I'm actually coming over to your place in, uh, not to Lake Lomond, but we're coming to Aberdeen to play up right. in that part of Scotland uh, for about four days in a couple of weeks time. 
Okay. Bringing our, one of my friends is bringing four fathers and son group and uh, looking forward to that. But uh, over in your part of the world, I, I think Turnberry and Muirfield are kind of the two tops, okay. if you will. Uh, obviously, the old course is the old course. And uh, I got to play in the senior British Open a couple of years ago, I guess in 2017 at the old course. And one of the really one of the highlights of my life. Yeah. Uh, and uh, in Ireland, I, I got to play actually uh, in the senior open there in 04 when I turned 50. The Oakmont allowed me to take some time off in July, which was very rare. But I turned 50. I asked, you know, I said, can I have this as a gift? And went over there. Support Rush and Royal County Down are extraordinary. And I've not played the south of Ireland. I've not played anything down there. Okay. So uh, looking forward to that someday. I actually wish this trip was in Ireland. So I've done so much in Scotland, but I haven't done Aberdeen and, and uh, Cruden Bay and some of those courses up there that we're going to play. So I, well, love, yeah. it, I love it over there. Yeah, spectacular. And I was very fortunate to uh, work for the K Club in, in Southern Ireland for four and a half years and played a fair bit of golf uh, down around there. And it is, you know, you've got to do that, Bob. You've got to promise yourself to get down the south of Ireland and Valley Bunyan. Oh, I will. I promise you. That's my next trip with my sons. Yeah, absolutely. But you, you, you've got to call him a Loch Lomond as well, Bob. You know, Guy reveres you very highly, our head professional. You've got the links with the club through Colin Campbell, um, the podcast for the members. So, you know, you're, you're a friend at Loch Lomond Golf Club, Bob. So, you know, you must pop in and if you can do and say hello and see us. I will. Love to, Bill. I appreciate the invite. Yeah, absolutely. Bob Ford, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Uh, this chap has achieved an awful lot in the game. I think we've just got the tip of the iceberg uh, as these podcasts. Unfortunately, we try to cover as much as we can, but uh, this has been a, a superb episode. Bob, I wish you and your family the best uh, and good luck over in Scotland and around the Aberdeen area. And I hope to see you at Loch Lomond sometime soon. You will. I promise. Thanks, Bill. Thanks. Nice to be on with you. Cheers, Bob. Thank Cheers. you.